0: Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. Uh, This is episode four. Uh, Today we've shaken things up a little bit. We've got Claire O'Connor, who's an activist and director of Inner City Helping Homelessness with us. We've got Connor McCabe, who's the author of Sins of the Father and of Money, two uh, excellent books. And we've another author, we've got Sean uh, Byers, who wrote the book about Sean Murray as well. And I'm your host again this week, Dave Gibney. we're here to talk about the, the, what's in the news this week, but, but first of all, um, just to say that we're up now on iTunes and Spotify and a whole range of different places, so if this is your first time listening to us, please, please, please subscribe to us or follow us on social media so you can uh, get a, a regular update on what's happening from a left-wing perspective in the news. Um, I'm going to ask the guys first, um, Claire, um, yep. what, what have you been noticing in the newspapers this week?
1: Well, I suppose across a lot of the front pages today was the Black Lives Matters protest yesterday. Um, and I have to say, I was kind of impressed that they were all pretty positive stories. You know, they weren't, I've seen a huge amount of criticism online that, you know, about people organising during a pandemic and, you know, that they were putting other people's lives at risk. I didn't see the same criticism about people on beaches, packed, you know, packed on beaches last week or, um, you know, or the fact that, all, you know, every all the shops are open and, you know, the, the we're pretty much in agreement now that social distancing is coming to an end but one of the things I have noticed is the I mean you even look at the doll the other day you had Josephine Madigan looking for a minute's silence which is just the height of hypocrisy and it's this kind of performative wokeness and a huge amount of the message that I see coming through from black people and people of colour and travellers is that you know the conversation needs to move away from from black people people of color travelers to, to white people and white supremacy and that we need to start taking a little bit of responsibility and ownership in in being anti-racist Um, i think you only have to look at the, the kind of racism that's coming out about you know on twitter i've really noticed it, the perspective that you know ireland isn't a racist country how anybody can stand over that with our history of how we treat travelers alone is just extraordinary but um yeah, I, like when I'm reading the, the papers about the the protest yesterday, the another protest in Dublin. Anyway, the organizers were handing out masks. They were handing out PPE. They were really enforcing social distancing, and, and to see the levels that they're having to go to to prevent this criticism, um, you know, it, it just really struck home with me. I think uh, I think people are really starting to, you know, people have been sharing everything on their social media the past couple of days. They're sharing the voices of black people, but I think there's a real concern that this might peter out and people might not realize that the core of what it means to be anti-racist and that it's, you know after this is done after you know after the protests maybe die down or after this isn't on the front pages of all the papers are people going to really understand what it means to kind of benefit from white supremacy you know we we as a panel of i suppose all white people here we shouldn't be we shouldn't be talking about black people and travelers and people of color we need to be talking about white supremacy and our own part and that and how we be anti-racist and hold each other to account and yeah so i'm really interested in how we go from here and making sure that people really understand that, that it's sitting in that discomfort and it's learning, you know, what we have to do going forward.
0: Yeah. I, I was at the Black Lives Matter protest there in Derry myself yesterday, and there was several hundred people there, which was really phenomenal turnout considering um, the whole city was surrounded by PSNI who were discouraging people from attending and warning. The actual, the warning that I got was, don't go down to the protest. Um, so I said, "Why? What, what's up? And they said, well, there's a, a, a Black Lives Matter protest. Um, and if you go down there, we're gonna fine you. And if you do go down anyway, um, you need to be very, very careful. So the, the implication was that perhaps it was gonna be a rush on the people down there or whatever. Um, we went down anyway, went into the, the area. And they had it all sealed off all around the outside of it. So there was actually a crush. I wouldn't call it a crush, but it was more packed on the outside of the square than it was on the inside of the square which, you know, for the reasons that they were saying don't go in for social distancing rules made no sense, because you couldn't spread out then. So people just started walking by the PSNI, and then everybody in the inside of the square just gave a round of applause to, to everybody who was just ignoring the, the threats to be fined. So, bri- brilliant.
1: It does say on the front of the Sunday Times that there was a significant amount of fines handed out in Dublin. Um, and I, I like that. It mentions that the, so the, 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 the organisers were handing out PPE, but the guards didn't have PPE. So the the attempt to quash these protests, you know, contravened the social distance and a hell of a lot more than the protests themselves did.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And they went around the back of the protests in Derry, and I know they did the same in Belfast, finding people that like shooting fish in a barrel. Like they. Um, but the 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 interesting thing was immediately after it was over, I was looking on social media, and a group of people had set up GoFundmes for to pay the fines for people who'd, who'd received fines on the day, and they had over £7,000 already raised by the end of the protest. So um, it just goes you to support from people who couldn't be there or weren't there as well. Yeah. Um, any of you guys want to get in on this, Connor or Sean?
2: Yeah, just to say that um, I noticed this morning um, in one of the papers, can't mind which one it was, but that the PSNI are now looking to prosecute the organizers of the demonstration in Belfast anyway. Um, as you said dave like the 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 is response to this has been like ludicrous given how cautious the org- organizers have been in in organizing it um but you know the, the, it's primarily young people involved in this and connor and i were talking about this last week and are we that these young people are just going to tell the ps to fuck off like they're not going to be uh, they have absolutely no uh, respect for our uh, deference for these authorities anymore, um, and they will be more than willing to tell them to fuck off and continue with their their protests and their acts of solidarity. So I think it's I think it's great to see, and it's great to see so many people turn out um, and doing so in a, in a safe way. Mm. Connor?
3: yeah, I mean, uh, just on kind of Clare's point around how kind of uh, white Irish people need to take ownership of like racism in Ireland. Um, one of the kind of surprising things about the the, the kind of newspapers kind of today is that the Cindh was actually the strongest on this. Um, it has four articles that have people saying um, is iron racist? Yep, and Irish people need to take ownership of this and and do something about it. Not expecting it from the Cindh, but but easily the uh, the strongest. They have a very good um, uh, opinion piece from like Fanula. O'Reilly, who just kind of, you know, lays out her own kind of personal experiences of like racism in Ireland. And um, they have Claire O'Connor saying, um, here we go again, Irish people, uh, white Irish people saying that there's that no racism here. Ita um, O'Reilly, we have serious lessons to learn here about racism and our schools. And then uh, in the sports pages, um. Eamon Sweeney, saying that black lives should matter here. I mean, um, it is something that, like, this is something that really, you know, white activists have to kind of take ownership uh, of as well. It's not enough anymore just to stand there, you know. I mean, there are legislative kind of changes that need to be done. This needs to be front and centre of all kind of debates, uh, this idea um, that identity politics is something that, that should be kind of sidelined or treated in a kind of pejorative way, which is sometimes how kind of racism is like treated as if it's, it's treading on kind of identity politics, saying, no, no, this is structural and this needs to be kind of challenged. So um, the worst paper was the Sunny Business Post. I mean, talk about male, pale and stale. Um, like absolutely nothing in it really kind of whatsoever, um, except about how, how, how the, um how the kind of protests in the U.S. might affect, you know, might kind of affect kind of markets and the like capitalism. I mean, it reads like, like, like its audience seems to be kind of lads to read kind of GQ kind of magazine, you know, like, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, and they watch kind of Bond movies. Um, it's a, it's it like. The Times is is a pretty good on it as well. Uh, Times names uh, the organisations that had organised it, which is good. Um, it's, it says that this was down to Black Pride Ireland, uh, Massey, and to migrants and ethnic minorities for reproductive justice. And that's brilliant because, you know, I mean, these are black people and uh, uh, black Irish people and Irish people of, of, of colour who were here who are organizing this and it's their job when they're organizing on that platform to just shut up and let them you know and that's hard for white activists you know is to kind of shut up and let people who know what they're talking about to talk about what they know what they're talking about and not try to kind of second guess them or or kind of say well actually i've got i read a book on that (laughs) fuck off (laughs) you know what i mean like you know you read a book fair play to you Oh yeah, oh, yeah oh, oh you did some module in like second year and fucking UCD on it. Jesus, fair play, fair play to you. Absolutely brilliant, you know. So none of that. No, shut up, and let those who who know about this trust them. Don't second guess them, and don't say, well, it's a bit more nuanced. It's not. Just back them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I thought I th- I read two particular articles that I thought were interesting. Um, one in the Sunday Business Post today, or sorry, Sunday Indo. Um, and, and I know you mentioned there's been a, a few good articles in there, but there's also this negative one from mm. not not their fault, but but about Matty McGrath. McGrath opposed all minutes' silence for Floyd as nonsense. It says, and mm. and he said, and I love this bit. I did oppose it. I am not a backward, gone being from Tipperary. They're a sovereign country. It's none of our. It's in none of our interests. A debate about racism is all just a cover. We want to be seen as this great liberal democracy. Where is our liberty now? In tatters. We can't have a DAA match. Seriously. It's just everything.
1: It's just every, it's everything that's actually been spoken about. And the fact that he doesn't see any of that is, is just mm. madness. Just going back to something that Connor just said there about markets. I don't know if any of you saw um, Fox News actually put up a graphic mm-hmm. that had, you know, four or five kind of significant, um, well, there was the deaths of black men mostly, and, um, And how the markets reacted in the week after, just how the markets had benefited in the week after. And to actually put forward that narrative that, you know, the death of black people was actually a bonus for for the economy. It's it's just the very worst of capitalism and neoliberalism in one little picture. Like, it was just horrific to watch.
0: Mm it was um i i saw that it was rodney king was the first one i think the markets yeah. went up by over four percent or so and then it goes through all of the the major announcements o- over the years of, of the deaths of black men just on a positive one one of the better articles i, I read was from Emer martin who um, is a, a an irish novelist painter and filmmaker who lives in oakland california and you know she talks about um capitalism and you know america is not broke it was built this way and um, uh, you know the ingrained racism and all the rest of it but like connor was mentioning there she went to one of the protests with one of her neighbors a a a black neighbor of hers and and just supported her and and you know stood beside her on the protests and beat the horn with her and all that and just she said similar to what you were saying you know it's not enough for me to just sit at home tweeting or facebooking i need to be there beside my neighbors beside the people that 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 need that sort of support so again yeah it's it's amazing is it is there anyone... your privilege exactly yeah I, I, people,
1: white kids in america using their bodies to physically protect their black friends i mean that's the very definition of using your white privilege uh, because those white kids know that they're not going to be attacked in the same way that those black kids are
0: Mm-hmm. Hasn't it been interesting to see the police reaction over in, not only in the United States but in in Britain as well? Um, less so in the Republic of Ireland. But it, you, you saw the horses trampling down people yesterday, and uh, over in London, and you know the reaction in the United States has been crazy. The, the people have been killed. There's there's riots. There's all sorts of things. But it, it's been a, a fascinating thing to watch. To say you know, here's a group of people who are saying you should not kill black people, and then here's the police saying fuck off <laughs> we're
1: just seeing what's always been there but on a, on a a national scale and it's all being recorded we're just seeing what black people have been experiencing on a regular basis
2: yeah. um, um, just, there's a, something I just wanted to add there um, I don't know if any of you have seen that and I think this is an indication of where things are headed in America anyway um, I always I was thinking that you know there was a chance that America would implode um Tear itself apart before there was any sort of political or social revolution. But I think we're seeing now the acts of solidarity and the the momentum that's that's gathering that we could see that sort of political revolution happen. One of the indications of that is that the uh, McDonald's took out an uh, an ad, um, a huge ad, um, where they named the victims of of police brutality the pe- the people who have been killed by the police, um, and a big uh, caption, Black, Black Lives Matter, they're announcing a, a donation to the National Urban League, to the NAACP. Um, so I think there's an indication there that the capital is, American capital anyway, is, is frightened um, by the reaction to this, um, that the things could um, continue the, the way they're headed and, and that there could be some sort of up- upheaval. Mm. Yeah.
1: I do think there's, there's, that brands and corporations are jumping on the bandwagon because they say it's popular. Um, I mean worry would be when it's not as popular, Will well, you know, these are people who, some of these companies have primarily low-paid workers, which the biggest proportion of them are non-white. Mm. They don't give them basic healthcare, you know, packages with their wages. They don't pay them um, a living wage. So they're the kind of things they could do to actually best support, you know, black people and people of colour in America. Um, You know, unfortunately, I think that, listen it's all great every little thing that happens is great but we are you know you look at the pepsi ads with channel general a couple of years ago those kind of things i think corporations will always jump on the bandwagon i definitely think they're afraid they realize mm-hmm. that they're not probably going to get away with it as much i just think the intentions will go with the market and they'll um if if this if the momentum on this does die down and there's not a significant change that they might be held to account for you know i don't think it's going to be one of their priorities going forward mm.
0: Yeah, I, I think once it's in their financial it's become in their financial interest to support this protest movement. Um and there's actually a good article as well in some of the business public brands must practice what they preach around this stuff and Colin Kaepernick and how he's been treated and all the rest of it. And um Connor, have you got any other stories there that you've spotted?
3: Well, I mean, like the two like the next kind of big story, um, after kind of Black Lives Matter. Is the but uh, coalition talks? I mean, that's the one that's uh, it, you know that's across all of the papers and also some of the um, policy kind of but uh, policy kind of proposals that being kind of put forward. You know, so the so it, you know, so the ones that have been picked up are around um, you know, Falls' idea for pensions and 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 housing. You know, is is one and and then also there's the very kind of paternalistic kind of frustration which which kind of official ireland just used that phrase has when it comes to the greens because like the greens <laughs> it's not 2007 and it seems that there is quite a uh, significant left wing in in the greens and they're not at the sidelines they're actually at the negotiating table and it's really kind of freaking them out um, it's something that I would find kind of frustrating is when kind of some of the left in Ireland will kind of fall into that trap of saying, the Greens, oh, well, it's a it's it's gale with sandals, you know? You know, you know like, like, like that whole view that is, has no kind of bearing on where that party is at, like, you know? Yeah. So we're seeing that play out now. This is of no surprise, just to anyone who would have any understanding of the grassroots in the Greens, you know, and of some of the TDs who were forward. But because there's a view that, well, Eamon Ryan, he's the Greens, so so that's it. It's kind of, this kind of caught them off guard, that they actually are kind of digging in, because one, they have kind of certain views on how Ireland should be. And second, they have an ambition, and it's an ambition for a left-wing progressive kind of agenda. That's not the Green Party itself, but that, part of it you know so that battle that is going on it's being played out now like and is it 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 is kind of interesting we'll see what side wins Mm -hmm. um but you know but they're certainly putting up a a fight hopefully they won't go into government that's just my own kind of personal kind of preference um not because there's anything against going into government, but just they they have no one else there to fight their corner with them. They'll be eaten alive just with Fianna Fáil and with Fianna Gael. Um, if you had even the Sock Dems, maybe you could see maybe there would be some kind of their leverage, but just on their own, it's, it's, it's extremely dangerous, you know? So, I mean, that's the type of stuff that seems to be kind of being kind of played out. But the Fianna Fáil idea, I'm sure Claire has some thoughts on that one about the like, pensions for... Uh, yeah. in your pension to debate uh, bailout builders
1: yeah i mean it, it's basically telling people to, to borrow against their future i'm just looking mm-hmm. at a quote here the fianna fall and fianna gael unsurprisingly are, are pretty much on board with this so um owning this is from a fianna gael source on the front of the cindo owning a home as wealth. it doesn't i mean you don't have to pay rent when you retire and therefore you don't need as big a pension i mean we could probably spend a whole podcast <laughs> that one quote there but yeah
0: um, i've
3: have- I've underlined it. I well. have said so. There, yeah, that a, yeah, that a yeah, lot.
1: Just um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, first of all, Fianna Fáil are again, this we come back to this time and time again, where they're prioritising um, tax tax breaks for people to buy houses rather than bringing the cost of housing down. You know, that's yeah, the first thing. Um, it, it, yeah, yeah, it's just time. Like this is what we see time and time again, and it just shows us that there's no real change. Secondly, it you know it links in with the idea of pensions. I mean, what the idea that people won't need as much of a pension like. It's just completely ignoring the the idea that, well, how about we look at public housing? If people had affordable rents and rent certainty throughout their lives, if we had a stable housing market, we wouldn't need to be jumping to these really expensive measures. Um, but they just it's their ideology that they refuse to accept that these options are there. Um, and a, a big part of that as well is because Sinn Féin have been one of the most vocal parties on that. And at the, at the moment, they're just not willing to... You know, accept any idea that Sinn Fein put forward. It's not that it's a Sinn Fein idea, it's a left idea, and it goes completely against their ideology. But I mean, the idea that even house is wealth, this commodification of housing, they're just not willing to let it go. So, public housing and public land, you know, which has been the kind of the base of a lot of the activism around housing in the past couple of years, is nowhere to be found in any of their manifestos and any of their housing policies. And the idea that, you know, we should borrow now against our pension so basically reduce the money we have to live on when we're older get a tax break from the state now to buy houses that are being built at a profit a massive profit by developers um instead of I'm, I'm probably pay a huge amount for that mortgage right now too to banks that are charging us twice as much you know as other european countries like every level that you go through on this stuff is just we're being screwed um and it's just bad policy it's not evidence-based policy making and it, it's quite frustrating that we find ourselves in a position again. I mean, now we have Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And I do agree with what a lot of Connor said on the Greens. I think I don't want any left party propping mm. up. Um, I mean, there's yeah, argument around what we're calling centre-left, left, whatever. But propping up uh, Fianna Fáil and the Fianna Gael government. But I do think the Greens kind of ran on a platform for urgency as opposed to, you know, a platform for change because they're saying, you know, we have 10, 12 years to save the planet. If you sit out that number, you know, three, four, one, two, three, four, at this stage, who knows if we're going to have an election next year? You sit out a couple of those years, what's that saying to your, to your voter base? But we do luckily have the Saoirse McHughes and the, the more socialist wing of the the Greens who understand the just transition and understand that without social justice, you can't have, you know, the R equivalent of a Green New Deal. You can't have environmentalism if it's not eco-socialist. So I think they know that it wouldn't pass the party as well. I mean, already, though, even in the CINDO, one of the, the sticking points is the 7% emissions. I mean, that's pretty much the Greens. Yeah. Well, that's what they went in on. And it's a bit of a, you know, it's kind of insulting to the Greens that the one thing that they said they wouldn't bow on, they're still not willing to, to compromise on. When I'm, I'm assuming the Greens are, are compromising on a fair bit of their own policy. So, yeah, I think there's a, there's a decent chance that we
0: could be looking to go back to the polls. I, I, in some of the articles, there actually indicate that that's what Finnegale want is to go back to mm. the, the 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 party Green Party are saying. Well, sources in the Green Party are saying that um, it's fifty fifty whether a deal will be done because Finnegale have postponed, I think, three meetings during the week this week to discuss policy, and that they're not really engaging properly uh, around it, and that would. You know, we've all seen it it's since the crisis has begun. Whether we think they've done well or not, Fine Gael are rising in the polls. and um, It makes sense that they would want to play this out a little bit longer, show that they were the responsible party and, and did quite well, um, and that then we go to the polls, they get a few extra seats, and maybe they can have that, that golden coalition with Fianna Fáil on their own. But it looks like, according to the polls, it looks like Fianna Fáil will be the the people who would pay the price if there was another mm. election right now. but it, it, It's hard to say. Well, the issues that, that seem to be the sticking points, I know you've mentioned there, I was going to actually say it to the two of you there, um, and, and Sean might want to jump in on this as well, is the article in the Sunday Business Post today as well, um, just around social homes to be split from private in more new bills. Clustering mm. of social homes is considered against best practice due to its potential for ghettoization. I mean, it keeps coming up again and again anytime you talk about public housing that... You need to integrate it into the the rest of the housing schemes, and yet the builders are refusing to do that. They're building separate ones. For my sins, in in a former life as a a postman, I saw it firsthand where um, the Bailey brothers were building Bereva there in Swords, 1,400 houses, um, and they refused to build the social housing in it, so they they bought another field, a small field, where they built um, inferior housing, no parking spaces, um no maintenance to, to be done in in the area and, and they built about 90 homes in there to so that they would have um abided by the, the requirements so and they talk about government policy talks about like no ghettoization but they're they're doing it but they're doing it undercover and they're doing it not in terms of the ghettoization um, and that, that that we're talking about here they're doing it in terms of not providing services in those areas and not providing they don't even have one space Per, like one car parking space per unit in there now. So um, I think
1: you hit you hit the nail on the net there, Dave. It's not you know grouping working class people together that causes scale- that causes ghettoisation, if that's what you want to call it. It's poor services and it's poor um, public investments, and that's been allowed to happen in this country. But when you look at countries that have you know, great public housing. They don't. They don't have the same issue. It's pure classism, and it's facilitated by public policy. We can blame developers for getting away with it, but they're only getting away with what they're allowed to do within, you know, the the legislative infrastructure.
0: Yeah, John, have you seen anything on on that, um, or any observations from
2: the north around what's happening in the south? There, uh, there's not much um, in the northern papers, um, but it did it did pick up in this Sunday Business Post. Um, just to come back to, it. I don't think. I don't think that the left-wing within the Greens um, and the membership base behind them are going to accept any sort of watery um, mm. deal with Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil. That's my sense of it. That's my reading of it, um, certainly from talking to uh, those activists. One of the things I noticed, I think, Claire, you mentioned it there, is that it looks like the Greens are going to drop the, the demand for uh, an annual 7% um, emissions reduction um, as part of any day. Um and basically what they're saying is well we'll drop the annual target but we'll look to make it up over the course of 10 years um, now that's been government policy over the last decade mm. and then they say well we should revise them up and we'll make it up next year um, it's just a disaster waiting to, to happen um, and I can't see the, the left wing Greens and the members behind them like, accepting anything like that I think it's interesting
0: that in all of the papers that I've read for the last three, four weeks on this stuff, the expectation is that the Greens should drop their principles. And there's mm-hmm. no articles whatsoever saying that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael need to drop their principles to go in on this and to, to give in on a couple of those issues. The the big ones that are written about today in all of the papers are, you know, the sticking points seem to be the state pension age, which Fianna Fáil and the Greens are saying shouldn't go up to 67 Finnegal are insisting that it does and um, we will then you know after it moves up to 68 have the highest in the world highest retirement age in the world and um, the 7% emissions you, you've all mentioned that uh, reducing the deficit seems to be a sticking point as well I, I believe the Greens don't want to, to to address the deficit as quickly as the other two um, and then a couple of them interesting ones Finnegal want to link PRSI to higher social welfare um, which seems to be the COVID uh, coming from the co- whole COVID crisis thing, you know, um, where we're reducing uh, by what is it, 40%, to, uh, um, the €350 Euros payment for part time workers uh, is, is being revised downwards. It seems to be a sort of a springboard for them to bring in this. You know, if you're on 100 grand a year and you're paying PRSI, you should have a higher dole than somebody who's on 20 grand a year. And um, So that, that seems to be something Fianna F- Fine Gael are trying to bring in. And then the Fianna Fáil and Green Party want to get rid of Job Pack, which is a, another interesting one that I didn't see coming mm. in terms of FINA Fall. And then Fianna Fáil want to increase Lone parents allowance. Um, so that fits in line with one of the articles that Robert Troy wrote today. Oh, about, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. But Robert Troy writing about how... Middle it, Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Sh- Sinn Féin are now the sort of the centre-left and... We need to move into that space is effectively what he's saying. So here we have Fina Fall putting out all these feelers around, um, you know. Uh, Robert
3: Troy saying that that Fall had to move into Sinn Féin space now, it's a bit like Hitler pointing at Stalingrad and going, we should take that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's over, lads. It's fucking over. Fina Gael get it. Sinn Féin get it, everyone gets it, Fianna Fáil's finished, that's why like like Fianna Gael know that they can be in government now with like Michal Martin as as Taoiseach or they'll be in government in like five years time but either way they will be in government either now or in five years time that's how they see it you know so like Fianna Fáil like like what's their future Robert (laughs) Troy (laughs) yeah. <laughs> you, well, know what
0: he, like, you know I mean that's an interesting one as well there Connor, because the Sunday Indo was talking about the leadership heave in Fianna Fall.
3: Having, uh, having slagged off the Greens for having what is part of their own kind of constitution to have this this is a non-issue yeah. in the Greens, they knew that this was happening anyway yeah. but like but, but Fianna Fall, they they're not talking about it, nah, Fianna Fall's a bag of rats and the only one who can actually keep them going has been Conor Micheál Martin He's the only one who's was, who, who was able to, to kind of corral them. So, no, they're finished. Finished. Gone, gone, gone. Like, the Greens have, have already kind of bounced back from, like, 2011. know, thought they'd gone backwards. No, Fianna Gael see it. So, yeah. yeah so- we, should <laughs> take, we should take Sinn Féin's ground from them. Yeah, 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 you know, we, <laughs> if, if, if we should invade Russia. That's a good move. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a smart one.
0: Yeah, well, they're talking about okay, Jim O'Callaghan being the p- potential yeah.
3: challenge to Martin, Mister Working Class himself. Like you know, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, this is the this is the ridiculous the ridiculousness of the whole kind of policy. Like, Fianna Fáil have no ideas. This is what this pension, um, like pension housing things sorry for the rant lads but like um that's what this just sort of robert troy just brings it out with me for some reason <laughs> but like um but it's the whole kind of thing around you know that they've no ideas they've no vision they've no they have no they have no ambition for this country for where it's going i'll give finagel something they have ambition and they have a vision f- uh, f- uh, for Ireland. It's a reprehensible one, <laughs> but it is a vision, and they'll fight for it. What are Fianna Fall fighting for? Mm. What actually gets Fianna Fáil, uh, um out of bed in the morning? Fianna Gael get uh, get out of bed to privatise everything, and that's what actually makes them feel happy. Look at kind of Elik uh, Leo, neoliberal L- 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 to the bone-like. Mm. Sinn St- Féin have their own kind of views, which is about kind of getting rid of, uh, of the border. Uh, Greens have, you know, uh, environmental issues. What's what's Fina Falls ambition apart from ambition? Mm. That's it. Mm. It's enough. They're finished. Uh, Robert Troy talking about taking land from from the Shinners haven't and and, and 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 the Shinners haven't won 20s, 27 <laughs> seats like. Is so fucking dreaming like
0: safe to say you won't be voting Fina Fall in this next election when it's called Well I might
3: give them a preference. I mean I'll read that like Manifesto for us. you know.
2: <laughs> yeah. For a long time, Finfa have looked like the old man of Irish politics, like they've really looked out of place, Dead. and yeah they' they're looking finished. yeah
0: and another another article in the Sunday Business Post there talks about Sinn Fein is running a buddy system in the dail they're, they're selecting their new candidates in expectation of some sort of an election coming, particularly in the seats where they had huge surpluses, so I, I, I do think. How is that a story? I mean, look, like, like
3: Sinn Fein get like double <laughs> quotas, and the story is they may be running two candidates where they got double <laughs> quotas. Yeah. Jesus Christ, like, you know, I perfect. mean, like, you know, someone, someone was stuck for, for the column spaces today. Like, I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ, like, they get double quotas, Sinn Fein may run two candidates. Well, fucking she- geniuses, they are, aren't they? Gee, you gotta love the deal of garbage middle class, Jesus Christ, like.
2: You know, I mean, like the or... bar
3: is so, the bar for intelligence for the Irish kind of middle class is so fucking low that that's what they can get away with and actually get paid for that shit.
0: Unbelievable. Yeah, well, you'd expect that after the last election, they would have been preparing that second candidate from day one. <laughs> they <Coasty> fucking war. Of
3: course Costly war.
0: Claire, have you got any other issues there, either around government formation or any other that's stories true, that yeah. you wanted to raise?
1: Well actually just that so you mentioned Sinn Fein there, um, a story that has been really big and online and in activist circles is the, Sh- the Sinn Fein um abortion policy. So yeah. it came about because of the the DUP were looking to block the abortion the income and abortion reg- uh, legislation up north um in the assembly. And Sinn Fein added an amendment to just restrict it to um women people that had ex- that had received a diagnosis of severe fetal abnormality. Which completely goes against the CDR recommendations and and kind of it's the basic you know human rights that are expected in abortion legislation. Now it would make it in line with what we have down south, which as you know obviously hmm. isn't isn't good enough. And when the upcoming review comes up, we expect to be really lobbying our politicians to extend those uh, extend that legislation. It, it like I do understand. I actually on a brim I heard him on a podcast the other day talking about how this was always Sinn Féin policy. It was you know the. The recommendations of the eighth committee were brought to the Ardesh, which are in in line with you know not supporting um this aspect of abortion or abortion policy but and that was that's what was passed but i think what's really angered people is that first of all they actually went out of their way to raise this amendment um you know they they didn't have to their dup motion was to completely block abortion legislation so for, for them to move to restrict what was potentially coming in it also gave rise to you know that kind of resistance gave rise to an, a debate actually happening then in Westminster which wasn't initially supposed to happen um but in terms of down south like so the what's really bothered me about it is that the answer that Sinn Féin gave so people were sending emails in and there was silence kind of across reps online and the the email response that was coming in was we don't support this element of abortion legislation we don't support the right of women to access abortion in in situations of severe fetal abnormality that language was very definite. You know, it was very. I uh, like. I knew that this was the policy. It was in line with what was down south. But the language of Mary Lou McDonald and some of the reps during the campaign was very trust women. It, like that, the language mm. they were using was trust women, and I certainly understood that to mean that trust women means that you trust a woman and her doctor to make that decision when it, it comes to it. So, it, I've been sending emails the past couple of days, and I haven't received any response on it outside that forced doc response, and. I would be comforted to know that I know that there's varying views across this. I think it's expected that across society, there's it's understood that there's really varying views on this. But I want to know that my reps are at least and I understand the democratic process within a party, but I want to hear that they're bringing this to their adesh. I want to hear that the pro-choice members and the pro-choice reps that stood on those platforms and told us that they trust women are going to be pushing it within the party. And I think it's kind of triggered one of the things that people have always been uncomfortable with, with Sinn Féin, is the They're so good at closing ranks and tone the party line, and obviously you don't, you can't have a party kind of undermining party policy at every opportunity. But this is, this is a human rights issue. This isn't just you know your average piece of uh, regulation. This is one of the, it's a red line issue for huge amounts of people. It's one of the biggest um, kind of movements to happen in the past couple of years. And the flat out, we do not support this. Was really triggering for a lot of people, I think. Um, I'd like to see them come out and and acknowledge the fact that, yeah, listen, there's varying views on this in the party. We have pro-choice members and we have people who who are okay with the policy as it is. We're going to have an internal debate on it and we're going to bring it to our dish. But Mm. I've been very kind of vocal in my support of Sinn Féin in in terms of the media bias and stuff like that. And I've always been cautious of actually kind of criticising because of that, because there's so much unnecessary criticism. Mm. But when it comes to policies like this, I think they're really it, it, it does feel a bit of a betrayal to what they said during the election.
0: Yeah, Connor, you wanted on this? Yeah, I mean, like
3: it's slightly disingenuous of like Conor Brian to say that this has always been kind of Sinn Féin policy. Sinn Féin changed his policy three times in in the like, twelve months, and was and was driven to do so by Fianna Fáil and by Fianna Gael. I mean, all like you know, at the end after three dashes Sinn Féin ended up with the same policy as Fianna Fáil and, like, Fianna Gael. They were playing kind of catch-up. So they changed it three times in over to 12, maybe, uh, 12, maybe, 12, maybe kind of 14 months. So, I mean, like, always is, is a very really short time in terms of all of this. So, and then, like, in terms of, like, like Claire's point about kind of, you know, being kind of critical of like, Sinn Féin, where were Kuna kind of Sinn Fein when it was a smaller party? Now it's it's not just the main opposition. Now everyone knows it's a government in waiting. You know what I mean? Like, I mean everyone knows that if this government does go ahead, that it's a it's a it's a straight road unless something you know it, 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 not, unless something disastrous happens. Like we're looking at Mary Lou as a as Taoiseach in four or five years' time. Now, there's responsibility comes with that. This is not just about kind of protests anymore. This is about forming kind of, you know, kind of policy. So, you know, we maybe we should be just a bit more kind of critical. But it is a little bit disingenuous to say that it's always been kind of party policy when party policy was changed three times. I was playing catch up on the um, on the eight, um, on the eighth kind of committee that was actually putting the, the whole kind of lead on this. So. You know it was a very bad move um it was done i I expect it was done uh, to keep certain elements of the party f- f- you know faithful happy and it is only certain elements mm-hmm. um it's already, that's just going to show that there is overwhelming support for a much more progressive abortion policy election like fame that's that is clearly obvious mm-hmm. but there's um there's an element in the party that doesn't want it mm-hmm. and um you know, and the closing ranks is, is, is probably a good way of actually kind of uh, saying it. But, like, they should have done what Claire said. Be honest about it. Be grown up about it. Say we have, there are different views in this party. We need to work this out. And at this moment, this is not it. Instead of, like, putting forward, like, this is the line in the sand, this will always be our kind of policy. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah, sorry.
0: No, I was just going to say that the big surprise to me about all of this stuff is that you know the media loves an opportunity to beat up Sinn Féin. and yet mm. it's not. This mm. issue is not in any of the newspapers that I've read this weekend, from the Irish no. Times yesterday, or any of the Sunday papers that I managed to get through. Mm. Um, it was
1: actually mentioned. Sorry, it w- it was mentioned in in the Times, but it was fra- it was actually the narrative put forward was that they were in lot that it w- the article was about how Sinn Fein and the DUP have been largely in step, and it mentioned the mm. abortion issue. So very small mention of it, but actually didn't pick up on what was the actual problem. It mentioned the fact that you know, the DOP and Sinn Féin have been somewhat in line over a couple of issues over the past couple of weeks.
0: What's the perception in the North, Sean?
2: Yeah, just coming at it from a Northern perspective, I think they're trying to be cute um, with their emotion to placate those more conservative sections of their support base and membership, which is a declining constituency, I would have to say. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the Definitely. And at the same time, they would say to the turn to the pro-choice movement and their pro-choice members and say, "Well, what we're trying to do is limit the damage of the DUP's uh, motion." Um, they knew it was symbolic; it wasn't going to have any material uh, impact uh, in terms of the Westminster legislation. But I think that's what they were trying to do. I don't think they anticipated the reaction that they got. Um, certainly, there's a there's a Generation of uh, younger, progressive, liberally minded people in the north who might not come from a traditional Sinn Féin background, um, but may be inclined to give Sinn Féin their support um, now or in in the future on the basis of their of their policies. People from what would be traditionally working class um, unionist backgrounds. Um, and so, even from a strategic, you know, cynical political perspective, uh, I think they've done themselves some harm amongst those people. Um, and to, just to back up what Connor and, and Claire have said, the thing that they could have done would be to honest, honestly engage with those people. Um, I've seen it on Twitter, um, where people were raising their concerns. This this uh, particular element were raising their concerns, and they could have engaged with them honestly and said, you know, this is where we're at, but we're going to look at it. Um, And we recognize that the overwhelming majority of our membership and those who would be inclined to support us, you know, are in favor of a pro-choice policy. Um, But it seems to me that they have done themselves some harm amongst those people. Um, And they're going to have to do some work to to recapture that ground. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Claire, I think you wanted to talk about a couple of other work-related
0: issues. I think you mentioned um, Ireland's having a bigger proportion of minimum wage workers and, and, and in terms of the percentage of women who happen to be working in, in those minimum wage-type jobs. Um, I don't know if you want to talk around that stuff, uh, but we also had one related issue, uh, which I mentioned, and just briefly touched on earlier on, which is about uh, most earning under €350 Euros or a week Per week, our students are second earners, which again goes back to what Connor was saying about where are they getting these articles from. Because coffee, yeah. In, if you're working full time uh, <laughs> and you're on the minimum wage, you have to be earning over three hundred and fifty euros. So low
3: pay is a lifetime is a lifestyle choice, and that's the sunny Business Post kind of this week.
0: It's a
3: it, it's a lifestyle choice. It, it literally goes right go here.
0: It, it says there are lots of people out there who earn less than three hundred and fifty euros a week by choice. Choice. Sure, choice all, all those workers are out there saying do you know what mm. i don't want to pay increase thank you for the offer mm. of doubling my pay but i really don't want to this is my choice i want to remain on low wages yeah
3: same as it's my choice not to say anything that is libelous about those journalists it's purely my choice you know <laughs> right i'm sure i, I do could
1: think...
2: but i won't <laughs> yeah.
1: The article in the Sunday Times, about, you know, the, the headline is Ireland near EU top for proportion of minimum wage wage workers, and particularly within that, um, women are a higher proportion again of the EU average of uh, minimum wage workers. Mm-hmm. For me, what was really interesting that jumped out at me when I read this was that I think I've been throughout the pandemic and the amount of people working from home, um, there was actually research recently that found that women were, even though men and women were both at home, and there were you know kids in the house women were finding it a lot harder to do that work because again the a lot of the the responsibilities of the home of child care of you know everything that goes along with that even when there are two people in the home still primarily falls to women and I would like to think that a lot more men or people who aren't usually involved in that work are understanding just how difficult it makes it to work when you have children and and kind of household duties as well Uh, I'd like to see coming off the back of this you know a little bit of a change in how the the options available to particularly women but anybody with kids at home um in accessing work because the reason that a lot of the higher proportion of that minimum wage work is for women is because if you're if you need to access reduced hours and work if you need to access work around school or that kind of thing the options available to you are quite restricted and um that's something that i would really like to see one of the benefits come out of this pandemic that the kind of work that's available to people and the um, the flexibility increases
0: yeah I mean it's, it's something myself and Connor have been working on a lot of stuff around this access to hours and reductions in hours over the last couple of years and we got the Employment Miscellaneous Provisions Act across the line there last year but um what, what strikes me around this stuff about low pay and it being, you know, the proportion of those jobs being mostly female, you know, if you think of the low paid sectors of hospitality, retail, restaurants, cleaners, even nursing, right, where it's mostly female, they're, they're mostly, well, they're lower paid than, than, than their male equivalents in manufacturing or in, in, in other areas. Right. But what, what strikes me all the time about this stuff is that in the absence of collective bargaining rights in Ireland and across a lot of the EU, the restrictive rights, you know, the, the employers resist much stronger in those industries that are predominantly female employees. So h- hospitality, retail, restaurants, cleaners, as I say, we have JLC systems that all of those employers are refusing to engage with the workers on. They're not doing it in, in the security industry where they're happy to sit down the security employers and, and allow male representation there. So when we talk about people on low pay and not at being, you know, being a lifestyle choice, it's absolute bollocks. These people want higher wages, but they've no facility to get those higher wages. And it's the employers resisting female-dominated enterprises that that, that we have the major problem. Yeah, want to totally. and on it's, that?
1: It's, yeah, no, it is, and it's an it's, it's an extension of patriarchy feeding into to neoliberalism and capitalism. That they, mm. those structures have have grown up together, so to speak. So it is. It, it's almost like a patriarchal view on the women in those jobs. That um, just just across society as well, they're viewed as lesser jobs. They're viewed as less important jobs. And again, bringing it back to the pandemic and um, you know the frontline work that has been the most important in keeping society going has been a lot of those jobs. It's been retail. It's been cleaning. It's been you know health, health care and health uh, health workers. So I, again, I just hope that. those messages keep being repeated because uh, it's funny how they're not really being talked about anymore at the start of it it was really being highlighted and people seem to be taking that message in but this stuff is not only decades but centuries in the making you know this is ingrained into us it's ingrained into society and we internalize it from a very young age so um i think it's going to take more than a couple of weeks of of you know twitter and the newspapers talking about how these jobs are important um for you know for it to take hold but uh yeah i I just I, i think that we're, I don't think we're ever going to get an opportunity for a change like this again for such instantaneous change you know we've seen what was possible with the healthcare system although as all the papers show um, that's been messed up as, as bad as it possibly could have been um, in terms of the prioritising of the money that we're given to private healthcare facilities and the, the massive units over in the US being left empty although we do need them and we needed to mm. prepare because who knew where this was going to go Um, yeah, yeah, yeah
3: I it's just a non-story really yeah, yeah.
0: Go on, Connor, you went in?
3: The- oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean yeah, I mean like just on that point around kind of um you know where the kind of battle lines post COVID are gonna be. And it's in those areas uh, that Claire kind of just mentioned, it's it's mainly just in the more kind of gendered aspect of, of work and the care work in this in this uh, country, um on this island, kind of north and south. Um but there was one article that kind of jumped out at me and it's it's more of a segue into it. Um it's Jim O'Callaghan, Mr next leader of like funeral fault. Fucking hell. Uh Captain of the Titanic is what he's applying for. But um but they're talking about new funeral laws after fears over criminalizing mourners. And what Jim O'Callaghan is like giving out about is that um they're putting in kind of this new new law that if there's more than like twenty-five mourners at a funeral, then you know. Then you're breaking the law and you're looking at up to six months in prison and and like possible fine. The what struck me was that, I mean, I was thinking of the um, of the COVID nineteen kind of guidelines that have been put in place um, at the moment. And what struck me was that the like, guy was reading the like article and like thinking, all oh, right, like these are guidelines, but they obviously have some kind of legislative kind of basis, maybe those COVID-19 ones do as well, until I got to the last paragraph of the article that says that Mr. Harris will today, Sunday, sign a statutory instrument which allows up to 25 people, including family or friends, to attend a a funeral from tomorrow as part of the government's easing of the COVID-19 restrictions. There has been no statutory instrument signed by Conway kind of, Doherty for any or by um, what's her name? She's a business she's a business kind of minister Heather Humphreys. Heather Humphreys or by Heather Humphreys in terms of those guidelines. So so the only reason why Jim O'Callaghan is given out is that they've been signed into law. The guidelines for COVID nineteen have not been signed into law. Now they're supposed to give kind of um they're supposed to guide HSA Inspectors, in terms of their interpretation of the law, but if you go to the Health and Safety Acts into its kind of amendments, there are reams of kind of statutory, you know, kind of instruments in terms of how kind of building sites should be, how like workplaces should be, and they all have a legislative enforceable um, aspect to them. I don't see where is the statutory instrument for the COVID nineteen kind of guidelines, mm. because if it's not there then we know hey, what's going to happen. These are it's all gonna be based on moral suasion, trying to appeal to the morality of um, you know I, I, of those who, if I mention their names, I'll be sued. But like um, but like of of all of those kind of people. So where is it? Where is the statutory instrument for the COVID nineteen kind of guidelines which will mainly affect women workers in this state, in those kind of jobs?
0: Well, uh, on a lighter note, on the same issue, because I did see someone tweeting around that you know twenty five mourners allowed at a funeral. Somebody in Kerry tweeted and said, "Unfortunately for us, that means twenty four people plus a Healy Ray." Mm. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, in terms of COVID opening up, I did I did notice a, a couple of things here just to give listeners an idea of what my what might be happening, because New Zealand, who are a little bit ahead of us, there's, there's a little chart here about how bars and restaurants have opened up in New Zealand, and I'm just going to read out a couple of them. Um, just everybody in the bar must be seated at a table when consuming food and drink on the premises. Physical distancing of one metre must be maintained, which is an unusual one, because everybody's still talking about the two metre one. Um, the, uh, only one staff member should be providing a service to all customers at a section. Customers showing signs of illness will not be allowed in. I wonder how they're going to enforce that one. Like uh, you, you cough and you, the bouncer straight over and throwing you out. Um, larger bars will be zoned into to ensure social distancing rules and then staff training to implement stuff. Yeah, the, the usual stuff. But one of the things that the, the restaurants are saying which I find, you know, the lobbying behind all of this stuff has been phenomenal. I've never seen lobbying mm. like it, mm. but the, um, the, the, lo- the, the restaurant um, association are now saying that nine out of 10 restaurants won't be able to function. And so they need 12 months of wages paid for paid by the state. So they get free employees. They, they charge the same prices as I'm assuming for all the foods, but it, it's an incredible bailout. We've had a few bailouts during this time. And we mentioned the hospitals there and, Um, you know, five times as expensive as the the private hospitals, the the payment over in the UK. Um, But, you know, now the the business businesses and the business representative bodies are now looking for even more, 12 months of of salaries paid for by the state. Sean, is there anything similar in the North happening?
2: Yeah, um, just on that, I think it's the Sunday Times um, in Britain, is reporting that Boris Johnson had a meeting with his cabinet on Friday, and he was told that three and a half million jobs, mainly in the hospitality sector, could go um, without a, a quicker open or reopening of the uh, economy. Um, so obviously, their their fears are that the longer this goes on, the more difficult it will be to reverse. The income supports that they have in place for for those workers, um, and obviously there's a lot of business lobbying going on there too. Um, so Johnson has basically given his ministers the go ahead to uh, accelerate the reopening of the economy in in Britain. Um, and th- some of the things that you mentioned they've a- apply there as well. Uh, one of the things that stuck out in this in this uh, article is that he said uh, Johnson's looking to cut the social distancing as you've said from two meters down to one meter um, if scientific evidence can be found to justify this decision so they're looking to this get, is
0: what we want
2: <laughs> yeah this is They'll what we want Don't find the evidence or to back it up cherry pick the evidence to back up what, uh, where we're going with this now this at the same time that I think there's a hundred uh, scientists have have signed an open letter um, calling for the, the the British government to do not to do precisely that. Um, they said that it's going to be highly dangerous. The infection rate is already on the rise in, in Britain. Um, the NHS uh, chiefs are are warning that. Uh, that we are about to see uh, a second wave and that the NHS isn't prepared for it. Um, But, you know, business comes first um, and I can see the British government pressing ahead with these plans. Um, Fortunately, at the minute, um, the Northern Executive's uh, approach is closer to the Irish government's approach than the British government um, because there's, there exists a real healthy mistrust of the Tories here uh, in the North, um, in both sides of the community. Um, but uh, I've noticed that in another paper, I think it was a Belfast Telegraph, that our own incompetent, awful uh, economy minister, Diane Dodds, um, a lot of people wouldn't know that Diane Dodds is our economy minister, um, she's exploring options for a faster reopening um, and I know the executive is coming under pressure from from the business lobby to, to do so and that there's, there's a huge rift within the executive basically between the unionist parties and, and everyone else around this issue um, and the unionists win their argument, the business lobby, lobby win their argument then we'll see a, a, another spike here. Mm. Well, just
0: in terms of... Um Seeking out the evidence, uh, I found an article by Richard Curran in today's as well, page two of the, I think it's the business part of it, but uh, <clears throat> it says investment bank JP Morgan, a very trustworthy organization, recently found in a survey of each U.S. state after lockdown that in almost all states infections rates declined, not increased after lockdowns ended. Like I, I find that absolutely sensational that 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 JP Morgan will be using that as evidence that retail mm-hmm. should be opening up entirely because once you open up the, the 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 number of infections goes down. The nonsense around that is obviously when you're opening up, it means the infections were already in decline. So this is just the continuation of the, the the you know the decline of those. But th- this is now ammunition to the business lobby around the world because jp morgan has now said to and sent out those press releases telling people that this is the situation and um, claire connor have you got any other stories you want to touch on before we finish up we've another five minutes or so
1: no i just wanted to say just a point on that about how the, the lobbying influences the health advice and how um you know businesses it, it's like the influence of business on the health advice compared to similar situation when there's not money involved like i know it's a small thing but as a parent of two young kids um the the playgrounds are supposed to be opening you know we're opening crashes we're opening the large retail units we're we're opening restaurants pubs are open in a couple of weeks but now it turns out that playgrounds aren't opening because they would need to be supervised and i think gcc have said that they're not going to do that and it's just it's such a massive thing to kids and it's such like their, their mental health alone they haven't been able to access playgrounds they haven't been able to play with their kids you know for so long but yet in a crash environment when it means that people can go to work and there's profit involved um Mm
0: -hmm. kids
1: are going to be even even closer for longer periods of time and that's okay and it's again it's a small thing but it just highlights how you know lobbying and profit and business interests can influence you know what's supposed to be health advice yeah
0: Yeah. and i mean I, i know uh it's not specific to COVID, but that business lobbying was an article that struck me in yesterday's Irish Times because it's, it's been in every newspaper for the previous two Sundays in a row about a potential for a hosepipe pipe ban across Ireland because people mm. in households are using too much water. And Irish water have obviously been, it, it doesn't say who the spokesperson is, it's just in all of these articles <laughs> it said a spokesperson. So I contacted one of the journalists yesterday who, who wrote an article about it and I asked them, Straight up, like, where did you get the data from? Because in it, in this article from yesterday, where it says in quotations as a headline, "We're drinking tomorrow's water today," right? And it's saying that households are using too much water because they're washing their hands too much. Which peak water? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So it says here, domestic demand accounts for about two thirds of overall water usage. Right. So I said, hold on, that doesn't stack up with the data. Eighty percent of usage Mm. is in an industry Mm. in Ireland, right? About twenty-two percent. Uh, to 78% is, is the breakdown. So I contacted him and I said, where, where did you get that data from? Uh, it was Jack Power. And he came back to me in to him and he said, well, that's the, the figures that they gave us from Irish water. So I said, well, that doesn't stack up. I said, the, way, the reason they're using domestic demand is that they're including the leakages in mm-hmm. the domestic end of it instead of the industrial end of it, industry end of it. So currently 50% of all of our water gets leaked into the ground and they're including that as domestic demand. Isn't it a great way to lobby for certain um, policies to be implemented when you, you blame householders on this stuff that two thirds of overall water usage is from households, when in fact 22% is? There's 66% down to 22%. That's how they use data and, and, and lobbying to implement and you, the
1: policies. Do you think, like you've supplied that information now, is there any indication that that might be in a paper anytime soon? Because that's, you know, Publishing a press release isn't good enough. We need journalists to be ch- to be challenging this stuff. You know, we really do. And it's one thing if, you know, you take those figures at face value, but if somebody else gives you the information, I'd like to think now that we see a, a retraction on that or an article to clarify because, um, that's you know that's what we need from journalists.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kennedy analysis have corrected Pat Kenny on this because he's he's given them a free run,
1: that, on a yeah. monthly
0: basis, and they've they've done some really good stuff, but never. Never have I seen a correction or a, um, you know, it's one of those things that when you've when you've delved into the information and you keep seeing it repeated over and over again, it gets very frustrating. But look, there's an agenda there with water charges and, and this is all a softening up exercise for the next number of years to bring back in excessive usage charges and all the rest. But interestingly, um, they were on May 1st supposed to bring in a new regime of business charges for water, but they scrapped that because they didn't want business to be um, frightened on on the back of the COVID crisis, so that that's been postponed or delayed indefinitely. And um, any other quick stories that you might want to jump in there on oh.
3: Sean? Yeah, go on. Sorry,
2: no, just uh, just to say the same thing's happening in the north. I noticed that uh, NI Water, the 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 water authority in in the north, announced that they may introduce a pipe ban. Um, and the, the, I know that we've managed to stave off water charges in the north, but it was raised as part of the uh, the deal between the DEP and, and Sinn Féin to restore the executive. That you know, it was the British government raised it, um that water charges may need to be on the table, and obviously, you know, we know that that paves the way for privatisation. So far, the Communities Minister, Deirdre Hargey the Sinn Féin minister responsible, says that she's ruled it out, but. That pressure is going to be there. Um, it's going to continue, and we just need to keep watching, brief. Connor,
3: yeah, I mean, there was um, there was two, well, well, two, or, well, three kind of short kind of uh, stories that you know, you know, really kind of grabbed me. One isn't a story; it's a letter that should be a story. It's it's a letter in the Irish Times from Declan kind of Monahan of Tullamore, kind of, uh, but County Offaly, and a special needs schools have been neglected it's a it's a it's a fantastic letter and really it should be a kind of front page kind of story and he he says that since lockdown um special needs schools have been closed which has resulted in significant numbers of children regressing heartbreakingly for their parents but most disturbingly um 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 Educationally as well, like you know, he really kind of highlights kind of that story, and it's a pity that it's kind of buried in in the letters page than really, you know, on the front pages. Um, and and then finally, this one, um, I, I I as a species, I love the kind of Irish middle class. Um, I find it kind of fascinating, and um, just to study them, you know, and to read up on them. And and there's a wonderful um, article here in the style. Uh, section of the uh, Sunday Times called a shroom of one of of one's own a shroom of one's own, and it's about kind of micro it's about kind of micro uh, a micro kind of dosing um, of like magic kind of mushrooms. And it says here that a new tribe of middle class rule breakers are tripping from the living room with illegal mushrooms. <laughs> and one of the experts it quotes is even the Basque shaman. Manix Ebar, a Goop favourite who often works with psychedelic plants in ceremonial and therapeutic uh, settings, is concerned by the increase in their use for fun. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. It's going, what fucking planet are you on, lads? Like, the Irish middle class are just... They really should be put in a zoo and just studied. I mean, they, they, they really are just a fascinating world of its own, feed off them themselves have their own kind of view of things. I just find them absolutely brilliant, you know.
0: Well, I think I'm going to have to um, <laughs> clarify at this point that I am not a moderator in this um, show. I'm, I'm the host, and people are allowed to have their own <laughs> opinions about everything, and I'm not going to stop them. So, <laughs> <laughs> look, we're, we've, we've spent over an hour now uh, on all of this stuff. This is the fourth episode, as I said, at the start of the week at work. I want to thank our guest, Claire O'Connor, activist and director of Inner City Helping Homeless. Um, Connor McCabe, author of Sins of the Father and Money. So, uh, Sean Byers, author of Sean Murray, and I've been Dave Gibney. Again, if you don't follow us on social media or on Twitter or on Facebook, we'll have an Instagram account up soon as well. Um, start following us and also get onto iTunes or Spotify and follow us there. Subscribe. Thanks guys for, for for joining me today on this discussion about what's in the media this week. And hopefully we'll have you all on again soon in the future. Uh, thanks again.
1: Thanks, Dave. Yeah.
0: All right.